All right. So you and I have already talked about this, but I wanted to bring up uh, what my therapist was asking me because I was telling her that I was in a rut. And she said, okay, here's something that a lot of therapists will ask. It's known as a magic question. If you woke up tomorrow and you no longer felt like you were in a rut, what would be different? She specified that like circumstantially everything would be the same. Yeah. Meaning I'm living in the same house. Okay. I have the same girlfriend. Like every relational aspect of your life is the same. Yep. But maybe it's a different thought or like something's in a different place, like whatever. Mm. And she had specified something that made me know that this answer wasn't what she was looking for because it was more abstract than what she was looking for. Yeah. She was looking for something a little bit more concrete, but my answer was the presence of possibility. Yeah. And I said, I know that's not what you're looking for because it's more abstract. Yeah. But she liked the answer. It's (laughs) a good answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think I would want that, but in the form of just wanting to wake up feeling slightly more rested than I did the day before, you know, Mm, like, or slightly more invigorated or something. Like it's felt like at a certain point in my life within the last few years, every single day, I've just gotten pounded a little bit deeper down. And there's just that feeling of like, I wonder if I'm going to just keep getting pounded for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. and I won't die until I die. Like, Uh, you know, that I want that gone. (laughs) Because it wasn't always the case. I've always been fucking depressed a little bit. Yeah. That's never been what depression is. Mm -hmm. Depression's just like the tint Mm -hmm. to the world. And I'm fine with that. But it's like the, like, oh God. Yeah. (laughs) Or just the like, do I have the strength? And then you find the strength and then you're like, son of a bitch. I didn't want the strength. (laughs) I wanted to, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, It's a roadblock me and uh <laughs> like I, I feel like I could have very easily said you know maybe I'm not maybe I'm living in the same place but I don't like wake up and immediately hear my upstairs neighbors dropping shit on the floor yeah yeah which they're always doing I don't know what they're doing <laughs> yeah but I also gave the example of like a few weeks ago I woke up before Kate did and I was feeling very gloomy I was feeling pretty depressed mm-hmm. and This is kind of like more towards the beginning of when I was just feeling down. Mm. But the weather outside was amazing. And by amazing, I mean it was such a gloomy October day. Yeah, yeah. And you get like 12 of those a year. Yeah. So (laughs) I was like, oh, it's a Halloween day. It's a Tim Burton day is what I call them. Yeah. So I had a decent amount of energy. I just was feeling depressed. Mm -hmm. Or I was, a better word for it might just be gloomy. Mm Mm-hmm. But I knew that the possibility was there that I could go out and be in nature. You know, I could be one with the way that the day was. Mm-hmm. I could live in the gloom yeah. and process it that way. Yeah. And that turned out to be all that I needed. Mm. And at first, Kate also wanted to go out and explore a cemetery with me and just yeah. kind of like do gloomy October stuff. Yeah. And then she started to feel the gloom a little bit herself. So she stayed inside and watched Star Trek and I went out and hung out at a cemetery and listened to Pink Moon on fucking (laughs) Discman and (laughs) just like walked around getting eaten by mosquitoes, but it was fine because it was a Tim Burton day and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. And I came back way happier. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, she was way happier because we had both recognized that there was a possibility Mm. 
to engage in and that we could process our feelings through that possibility. Yeah. So when I think of possibility, I think of something as simple as that, something as simple as just going outside and engaging with whatever you need to be a part of in that moment. But there has to be the possibility for it. Yeah. And what we've been talking about for the past couple hours is like, there is a dread, there is a fear that comes along with, what if I wake up in a gloomy state And I have to make a spreadsheet for work. Yeah, yeah. What if I wake up in a gloomy state and I can't go out and sit by a river and write about it? Yeah. And I get that that is a very privileged thing to be able to do. I get that like most people are not making their own hours and in charge of their own schedule and don't have that luxury. And let me be clear, that luxury comes with a price. Yeah. I'm pretty fucking poor right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, that is the trade-off. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm saying I have that luxury now, but it's not necessarily sustainable now. But the feeling but at the core of that luxury isn't, isn't privileged at all. Right. Like, it's just yeah. wanting a fucking air hole. Yeah. I think that's human. That's the whole idea of, like, logotherapy and stuff. Like, it's just placing value on that air hole because even when all the other ones start to get plugged it's like that yeah that's the structure around it might change like you might not be able to devote a day to writing by the river or like even like sleep in and stuff but it's knowing Mm -hmm. that if you really need to fucking breathe there you can yeah it's just hope i think yeah i don't know otherwise it just it will crush you and it's definitely privileged to have that or to have that in certain quantities and things like that. Cause you can definitely go on living without it or go on existing without it. But yeah, it, it just shouldn't be so abnormal to want or have that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. It is one of the, probably the most scary thing that I can conceive of. There's nothing when I peel it down to that kernel at the center of all of those worries. And it's, it's that feeling that, Nothing scares me more than that in terms of my own existence. But maybe that's the flip side of um, like we were talking about with like the formatting stuff and the theater gig and like mm-hmm. it wasn't any of those jobs. It was the feeling and you start to do it long enough and you see the pattern. It's like it can't be any old route, but I take certain routes to this feeling and I end up at this threshold and I'm yeah. like, this is where I am. This is what I want to be. Maybe this is just the inverse of that, where like when you're young and you're pissed off and you're sad, like, yeah, it's it's the factory. That's the enemy. That's defeat. Like, that's it. Yeah. But then you start to like go through that shit enough or for long enough or whatever, and you get some more of the nuance and realize like it's not specifically a factory or a desk or a spreadsheet. Right. It's yeah. someone taking your freedom away and saying you're not allowed to die. And it's... Anything yeah. can take you there too. You could be an audio engineer and go there. You right. could be the happiest assembly line worker and never go there. Yeah. Yeah. The enemy is not any particular kind of job. It is a particular kind of restriction. Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that. Cause that's where somebody like, I don't know, remember if it was on mic or not, but we're talking about Bukowski earlier. I think as much as he bitched about the jobs that he had to work and they were horrible. And I mean, he was abused constantly by the workforce, but like, I think there was some, just based on his writing, there's something about the amount of latitude he had to be 
a scumbag and to be a fighter and to be kind of an urchin and an explorer. Like he was not really restricted. He was under mm. somebody's thumb, but he was free to wriggle, you know? Yeah. Anyone else in that situation, as he wrote about constantly, was crushed by that. That mm -hmm. hope was snuffed out. He never mm -hmm. stopped writing. If anything, he intensified it. Yeah. And it just kind of goes to show that, like, you, you can have just a weather-beaten person in their dream situation and something is just flipped and it's not compatible and it's in the exact wrong way. Or you could go completely the other way. And mm -hmm. somebody's, like, busting their ass 18 hours a day, but they're free to think. Yeah. Again, it's, this might have been on mic, but it's, it's office space again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> philosophical movies. Like, he ends up trading the job that all of us were told you've got a gun for this you have to get into this situation it's stable i mean mm -hmm. granted that specifically wasn't but that type of job is what people talk about usually when they mean stable right it's easy it's climate controlled it's regular pay mm -hmm. there's potential you can move up trades all that for just cleaning up a burned down building and working manual labor and people would say hey don't do that go for the high paying software job but he's free to think he's outside he's getting exercise yeah brings his own lunch in a pail you know mm -hmm. it's like there's all these good things about it and there's more nuance to that it, it brings me no peace practically <laughs> like day to day none of this helps me at all but I've yeah. noticed that change that I never would have picked up on when I was 23 and suicidal or when I was 25 and like just freaking out about what I was supposed to do like mm -hmm. none of that was on my radar I know that feeling too like I feel way more freedom cleaning out old storage units mm -hmm. than making more money as a teacher. Yeah. Because there's such a structure to the day. Yeah. There's such a, there is and isn't such limitation to being a teacher, but let's face it, there is. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's a lot of limitation there. I remember realizing that I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. And it, nothing has ever made more sense to me <laughs> than I don't want to teach anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but that said, like, I decided not to teach anymore, but kept teaching the um, journalism workshop mm -hmm. that I had been doing as a volunteer. Because I still got to do the the formatting and the layout and, like, the editing for the the publication that we were doing. Yeah. You know, I still got to work on project-based things that brought me a great deal of gratification. Yeah. And like, there have been plenty of times in my life where I have thought about going into like, not the, not a software job necessarily, but like kind of having more of an office job. Climate control sounds really nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, but like specifically watching, watching a show like Mad Men. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I could definitely do this for a living. Yeah. Like, I am a trained writer. I could work in that department, no problem. Mm -hmm. And I know it's a douchey thing to be like, I could do that job. No, I get what you mean, though. Like, yeah. the skill set. Like, yeah. yeah, you possess the skill set. Mm -hmm. And it would be work that I might enjoy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember where I was going with this thought. Well, it brings up, like, it's interesting sometimes to, like, to think about these things in terms of the cultures, too, because as much as that tends to be seen as secondary or tertiary to a lot of these other needs. Like there are so many fields or so many ways of solving this problem that I just can't do mm -hmm. because of purely cultural 
things and not even always cultural things about me, just things about like, I can't wake up every day and be happy if this is my social set. And this Mm -hmm. is the conversation I get to have every second. Like, Mm -hmm. but it's funny. Like I think about like, if I was to work on like a demo crew or something, or like, you know, you're, you're doing craftsman shit. I love that. I love the feeling of that. I love learning all the crap you have to do, but I just don't fit in at all. Anytime I've ever worked in those capacities, yeah, they always call me a hippie, uh-huh. which irritates me on many levels. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm usually seen as like scrawny. Like you can't be a vegetarian, long-haired <laughs> artist type who reads alone at the lunch break. Nope. And then go back to swinging the hammer the same way all the other guys are swinging the hammer. You can't wear skinny jeans. No. You sure as hell, I learned this, can't wear a fedora. Um, (laughs) So it's like, which I totally, all right, I'll give them that. Uh But uh, (laughs) they were right about that. And I'm glad that they corrected that. But it just was, there's so many things like that in so many fields where I'm like, the thing that I get from that I've always gotten from being self-employed, obviously, but also from just creative fields is that is culturally what I know how to be. Mm-hmm. And I sacrifice the least when I am in those environments. And yeah. there's always just been this like crushing sadness to like, oh my God, I got to get up and lie about this too mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah. So it's tricky because I've thought that about some of the, um, not about advertising, but about like fields kind of like that where I'm like, everything about this is perfect. But remember we were talking one time about The Office or something. It might have been us, but talking about The Office and how like you watch shows like that that are beautiful escapism and you tend to identify with the protagonist if they're written well. Yeah. And you're Toby. Yeah. I had that horrible moment where I realized I'm never going to be Jim. Yeah. And yeah. And it ruined the fucking office for me. Um, (laughs) It's that. It's like I'll look at all these shows where I'm like, I could be this kind of a lawyer or I could be this kind of mm-hmm. a whatever. And I'm like, no, I'd be the, I'd be Milton. I'd be the guy down in the bowels of the basement that can't get the gumption to talk to anybody and doesn't fit in, doesn't wear the right shit. Like yeah, that has to play a role too. So it's all of these discussions are like subtly complicated by that. Like when you peel it all away, you still are who you are at this point in your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't always make sense with your skill sets or with your practical, like income-based enjoyments or proclivities or advantages or whatever you might have. So it's uh, that can confound some of these things. Mm-hmm. The manual labor one is a big one for me because there's a lot of stuff about that that I'm like, I'm actually good at some of this shit. Yeah, not amazing, but I mean, I can like throw stuff around at least. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know how to communicate or move fluently in those those circles I never have. Well, that was a big part of the, the feeling of being 18 and taking a gap year and having a lot of friends who were either just like skipping out on the whole college thing or, um, who were, who took a little bit more seriously the idea of like taking some of those labor jobs when you're young, cause it's good money, it's steady work, it's yeah. guaranteed work. And me just kind of having the knowledge that it's all temporary. Yeah. You know, but being expected to take it seriously, even though it's temporary. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? This is just these people's life? Yeah. How? Yeah. Like, how is this at all fulfilling to anybody? You know, so, so working those kinds of like blue collar jobs, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I mean this in the least snobby way possible. 
It's not even snobby at all. It's just, you're, you're right that it's just a cultural difference. Yeah. Well, but it is, it's a, it's just a difference. It doesn't have to be, I think it always gets framed as a superiority thing, white collar, blue collar, but like it's superiority until like we were talking about off mic, you need to hire a contractor Mm -hmm. and then that flips, you know, like (laughs) I've never had that feeling that like, this is where you go if you suck at stuff. Like that is a crazy, especially like mechanics too. Mm -hmm. There is such an insane amount of intelligence that goes into those things. Yeah. There's a specific type of hustler you have to be in a lot of cases to thrive in those worlds. Mm -hmm. There's a specific kind of toughness. Like they were all things that I admire, but I don't have the same way. Like you throw somebody like that into a tour van and you say six weeks, go out, do this. There's not a guarantee that they're going to be fine with that skill set, Right. And I've seen that happen where like I'm the the worst on the home. Just fine. Well, yeah, (laughs) they're going to be absolutely just fetid the whole time. (laughs) But, you know, it's like I've seen it happen where, like, I'm the weakling here when they have the home field advantage, but then they come into my territory and, like, it flips. Right. And it just – it kind of instilled in me a a while back that, like, it isn't isn't a ranking thing. It's just a, like, what fishbowl do you do the best in? Right. And, you know, some shit's salt water, some shit's not. I, I'm very much not whatever kind of water that is. And it's just a comfort thing that permeates me so deeply that it's like it affects how I converse. It affects how I how I think. It, mm-hmm. it Honestly, I think there's even like, um, like stereotype threat and shit like that where I screw up and get shittier at my whatever my job is because I feel that I'm this and I start defending my own identity. Like it just turns into a goddamn quagmire so quickly mm-hmm. and it isn't to anyone's benefit. So it's just, yeah, I've always found that really frustrating because so many of these problems would be simplified if like, you know, you need money, you go do whatever isn't going to drag the most out of you and you get some money and yeah, it's just, yeah, it's tough. And I'll say this too. Some, some of the people who are like, who live within that kind of culture yeah. are very much worth befriending. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. and like I've, like I've found myself meeting certain certain people who are like I couldn't work with them. Yeah. People who are in sort of like the landscaping business or the whatever business, some kind of labor job. Mm. I could not work with them. Yeah. Not just the culture but the labor itself. Yeah. But also the culture, mm-hmm. you know. I wouldn't want to do it day in and day out. Yeah. But I have met some of the sweetest, kindest, empathetic people just by virtue of like having to have them do work for me or like having a semi-professional relationship with them. Um, in that, like they're contacts of mine. If I need something done, if I, if I need some advice for something, you know, or like we help each other out in the community Mm -hmm. and ask like, Hey, do you have a lead on something? You know, yeah, that's a great resource to have. Mm -hmm. And like people that I consider good friends that I would like happily sit down and, and have a drink with or like talk for a few hours with, and like we wouldn't run out of things to talk about anytime soon, you know? Yeah, totally. But add into that the culture and not just the individual. Yeah. And that's where it starts to get very daunting and very scary and add to that the labor. And then it starts to get very scary. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings about career. (laughs) Yeah. I really do. Cause so many things bore me yeah. after not much time yeah. and so many things I give up on after not much time yeah. and so many things interest me that don't pay any money. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's, One of the best balances I ever struck with it on all fronts, really, was that I had that horrendous uh, newspaper delivery job at the, at night, yeah. and that thing was like just like logistically kind of a shit show, and financially was completely untenable from the jump. Like mm-hmm. I was borrowing money to get gas, and to ha- I was carrying my dad's cell phone. I was so broke, like I couldn't afford the things I needed to do the job. You needed a car and you needed a cell phone. Yeah. They didn't reimburse anything and you were paid bi-weekly. So I had to basically take a loan to do my first two weeks of work. I found out the work covered like a quarter of the fucking loan. Oh God. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die in this shit. This is horrible. Yeah. But the job was in the, the hours. It was a disaster. Like you never see the sun. It was in the winter. So it was like, you literally will never see the sun. <laughs> I was like, I can't handle this shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that didn't last long. But um, it was sick because it was like, there were a couple of kind of dicks in the, you worked like a warehouse thing for like an hour and then you went out and you delivered. And there were a couple of dicks in the warehouse. Like that was definitely not my scene, but it was possible to endure. Mm-hmm. And all the people that were doing like my job, they, they were all really nice. So we were all kind of like, all right, we're all in this together. It was like, all right, I can do this. Like I'm not, None of these people listen to the Smiths, but like, this is a good compromise. Like we can hang out. And then the job itself was like, I just drive around all night. I can drive on the wrong side of the road. It's crazy how fun this is and just whipping newspapers around. Mm -hmm. And uh, all I did was just, I would mix to three hours during the day that I was able to be awake. And then I would listen to those mixes at night and make notes and deliver Mm -hmm. newspapers and go home and... It was pretty good. And mm-hmm. I was like, this, honestly, if this paid me even anything close to a living wage, like this would be something I could 100% do mm-hmm. and settle for. Because yeah, I'm not passionate here, but nobody expects me to be, nobody has given me any shit about anything. Yeah, I can just do my shit and, and make it whatever I need to make it, go home and my life is mine. Mm-hmm. And I can think. I'm not doing anything that requires thinking. And I would just drive around just thinking and listening and doing whatever. Yeah. And I was like, this is cool. But anytime I've ever been in anything else like that, I'm getting constant shit from people. Yeah. Or it's too taxing on some level that's butting heads with the creative level. And so that's what it's, mm. it's always come back to being this just intractable problem because mm-hmm. it's really, really hard to carve out that clear niche without having a cultural problem. Yeah. And it's very hard to avoid that cultural problem without polluting that niche. The more I think about it, the this like makes me appreciate more uh selling vacuums. <laughs> <laughs> because there was such a boot camp element to that. Yeah. Where like the people who made it through the first couple of weeks and then stayed with the crew, mm-hmm. they had to be interesting people. Yeah. <laughs> And no one goes for that job if they haven't failed at multiple other aspects of their life. <laughs> yeah. So everyone that I worked with was a former everything, <laughs> a former cook, former landscaper, former whatever. That's cool. Like everyone's just done it all and has run out of options. Yeah. I ended up there cause I got fired from Walden books, <laughs> <laughs> which is all I wanted to do. I wanted to spend my gap year working in a bookstore and writing mm. and that, that's a whole story, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, like I ended up, you know, selling Kirby vacuums for a few, a few months. Like I didn't really make it that far into it and I wasn't supposed to, cause it was during my gap year. So like that was Mm. fine, but it was a crazy time. (laughs) 
but you only end up talking to interesting people. Yeah. Whether they're like super vivacious or like just have a fucked up criminal history yeah, or yeah. like <laughs> any, you know, any number of things. But if you weren't going around with like a crew of door to door salespeople, mm. you were by yourself mm. driving like all over the state to do product demonstrations. Yeah. So there was a lot of that alone time to just like either you know, listen to music or talk to yourself or, or whatever Yeah. that I don't think I really necessarily valued quite as much back then, mm. but I see the value in it now. So it was kind of, it was a lot of the things that I need, Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was the alone time, the time to just drive around and like the really good company. Yeah. The company itself is not a good company, but you are in good company. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the most interesting people I've ever met, I met when I was 18 years old selling vacuums. Yeah. That makes sense, though. I mean, yeah. that, there are just certain places where it, it just seems to accumulate characters. And then even the people who weren't like culturally identifiable as being like anywhere close to where I was, that would be like every once in a while, there would be that person that you just gelled with. Yeah. You know, I still can't believe that you worked there. Like, cause I probably told you the time that guy, like my family, my mom's side, we all have this vivid memory of a Kirby vacuum salesman showing up at my house for no explicable reason and just not leaving. Like he refused to leave. He was there for like five hours and it got to the point where like it was getting kind of like surreal. Like we had eaten, my brother and my cousin and I were like, we would always get together. We'd eat pizza. We watched the Three Stooges and like we were doing that and we like ran out of shit. Like we ran out of Three Stooges and we ran out of pizza and we're like, yeah. is that goddamn guy still here? And we went out <laughs> and he was. And my mom was just visibly like, Jesus Christ, I think this guy might be invading our home at this point. <laughs> Cause she kept asking him to leave and he kept, but he like vacuumed the house and he sprayed some stuff Yeah, and it wouldn't dry and he wouldn't leave until he could complete his demonstration. And at some point he's looking in the garage and pointing out something with the car. I was just like, <laughs> what the hell? And I just had this like really vivid memory of Kirby vacuums as this mystical, like, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I know we don't have one. <laughs> I do. <laughs> It's just that goddamn guy. We all just have this memory of it. And then one day you were just like, yeah, it was a Kirby vacuum salesman. And I was like, holy hell. 